Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. This is where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and professional goals. And I am your host, Denise Griffiths. And today, with my incredible guests, we'll bring you inspiring and actionable insights to take your life and business to the next level. This podcast is ranked in the top percent of the most popular podcasts globally. It's a must-listen, and it's all because of my guests. So let's dive in. So today our topic topic is Accelerating Business Growth, Insights from Eric Cruz. He is the CEO of Cruz and & Company. And with a burning passion for business growth, Eric has dedicated his career to helping organizations thrive. His expertise has guided over 100 companies across various industries, <clears throat> excuse me, including technology, finance, marketing, manufacturing, education, and construction to help them sustain profitability. And by optimizing operations and enhancing the quality of life for leadership teams, that's important. We're, we're going to touch on that. Eric has successfully transformed disorganized and underperforming ventures into streamlined revenue generation enterprises. And in this episode, we're going to delve into Eric's remarkable journey and gain insights into his strategies for success. So, Good morning, Eric. Can you hear me now? I can. How are you? Hi. I don't know what's going on this morning. I couldn't get you in. You couldn't hear me. It's, but here we are, and I'm so glad to hear your voice. So welcome. Good to be here. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. You've got a remarkable story, but before I start asking questions, because I have them, could you share a bit with us about you and your background and, and why you do what you do? So, absolutely. So, um, I actually have been an entrepreneur almost almost my entire life. I originally was in the business. I owned a business called Collegiate Entrepreneurs Painting Services, and we taught college kids how to run painting businesses for the summer, residential house painting businesses, and. Um, it was a great business to teach young people how to great great business for teaching young young people how to run businesses. And over the time of owning that, I, I sold it uh, a few years ago. Um, I had about eleven thousand employees. We had branches of that company all over the United States. And it taught me a lot about scale and then working with a lot of people, working with teams, working with um, had, we had leadership teams um, that were remote and and um, you know multi multi leveled. And it was a, just a great experience, but I, I, I learned a lot, um, but I loved it mainly because I was teaching entrepreneurship. So fast forward, I'm a member of a group called the Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, and I started to get into volunteer mentoring to help other companies learn how to scale their businesses up to the million-dollar size as a volunteer. And um, for about, I did that for about four or five years, and Ultimately, that led me into building a small coaching business, management coaching, leadership coaching. And then I became an EOS implementer 
and I was an EOS implementer for five years. I worked with, um, uh, I think I probably did 500 quarterly meetings or something like that during that time frame. Um, great experience working with that firm. And then ultimately, uh, I left that firm and a couple of years ago and built our consulting company, Cruising Co. And Cruising Co is a consulting company. We do have an operating system uh, that is uh, similar to in spirit uh, uh, to the EOS or a scaling up. And, but we leverage OKRs. We leverage objectives and key results in our operating system. But more than just having an operating system, we hold ourselves accountable for the revenue growth, the profit growth, and the valuation of the company. So um, we also have a finance company that helps us do that, that we own. It's a it's CFOs and bookkeepers and controllers to make sure all the numbers make sense in these firms. We have partnerships in M&A and in recruiting and marketing. Um, and basically, we're now, we are now a full-service consulting company that specializes in working with uh, small and medium-sized companies. We work with about 120 companies across the United States and Canada. So my whole life, and I still own, and, and also along the, along the way, I um, started a company called CE Painting, and it's a, it's a pretty, it's pretty sizable commercial painting company. We do um, large projects for, uh, for, for large GCs up and down the East Coast. So um, really have three companies, and my whole life is based on on entrepreneurship, but I, in terms of the consulting business, I, I, one of our core values is your business is our business. And uh, we lean into that by looking at the, the consulting business really as just being a way for us to help as many entrepreneurs achieve the success that uh, I have over the years. And you just mentioned your, your company, the, the painting company, but what I'd like to do, Eric, because you told me this wonderful story when we had our pre-interview about why you started teaching college students. <laughs> so interestingly, and I didn't have this realization into, into, into really until years of doing that. Um, interestingly, I'm, I'm from three generations of entrepreneurs on both sides of my family. And I didn't really process that uh, because I originally wanted to go into finance. I studied economics and I wanted to go into finance. And I kind of stumbled across this company to work that I worked for called Student Painters, and they taught college kids how to run a similar concepts until I started my own company. And ultimately, I started to realize that I was just born to be an entrepreneur. Um, I love entrepreneurs. Uh, entrepreneurs are, are uh, you know, I, I, in my mind, in my, if you cut off my body and looked into who I am, I'm uh, a father, a husband, and a friend, and, but I, being an entrepreneur defines me. I appreciate the freedom of it. I like being able to scale things. Uh, I love my teammates' um, leadership team as well as all the direct employees in the organization. Um, and to me, entrepreneurship is its my life. So teaching these college kids how to do that job and learn how to run these, these small businesses was, for me, just extremely rewarding, um, extremely rewarding. And I'm still, I'm still close to many of them to this day. They've gone on to have very successful careers in finance and, um, and, you know, doctors and lawyers and the whole nine yards. So to me, one of our core values is help first. Uh, your business is our business, another core value. And our whole company is, is based on that. So I, I just love, I love being around entrepreneurs. I love learning from entrepreneurs, but I, I really just love, um, I love, I love helping them grow their companies in any way I can, whether it's a, whether it used to be a college student and now it's a company from any size from 
a million dollars up to, to half a billion. Well, when you told me this story, and I was scribbling notes like crazy, because in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I think kids come out of high school and in many cases college not really knowing much about real life, how to make money, how to handle money, you know, how to pay their own bills, how to get out of student debt if they can. I mean, the list is really kind of endless. But you were teaching entrepreneurship because it was what you knew. And if I had to take a wild guess, I would think that some of those, these people that you taught this to, some of their best memories and some of their strongest strengths came from what you taught them, no matter what they're doing in life. I'm just guessing. So interesting. So it's a life-changing, it's a life-changing experience. So interesting, one of our core values in that company was uh, write your story. And we used that value to help our college students remember that they were writing a story and that we were helping them write a story. Um, and that was really our focus. So what we started to realize is if, if you talk to anybody who's been involved in a, a student painting company, uh, who was a, a branch manager, and it doesn't matter if they're in finance or, 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 or um, what field they might be in, they're going to have a tremendously vivid recount of their time as a branch manager because it's really hard. So I was a branch manager doing this experience myself when I was 20 years old. And I thought I knew everything about business. I'd worked at Fidelity actually as an intern in 19, so I, I was like a genius, right? That's what I thought. I'm super smart, except that, of course, I wasn't. So I, I thought this entrepreneurship thing would be, would be easy, and it was the opposite experience for me. I ended up running a $55,000 business as a college student, and I did pretty much everything um, that I could do uh, wrong uh, that was possible. And from, I did everything. It was too nice to, too nice to my employees. Um, undersold projects, didn't manage profitability, overshot on expenses, uh, didn't organize my day, the whole nine yards. And that story still uh, is carried, it carries into what we coach entrepreneurs on that are, that are, you know, running hundred million dollar companies. So it's, that experience was life changing for me. And ultimately, if you talk to anybody who's done this, they're going to say is one of the biggest life-changing experiences of their life. And also, not surprisingly, the biggest reason we tell people they should do it is not for the money, although they're always enticed by the money. It's because when they go to an interview, uh, when they get out of college, and somebody says, tell me your story of your last four years or six years or whatever the case may be, they're going to have this story to tell. And ultimately, that story involves them being over their skis, being extremely challenged, and, and, and going through an experience where typical, typical people, and, and many of them do, uh, they just quit. And we're trying to get them to be in the mindset of, this is an experience that you want to do so that you can show people you don't quit. You can get through difficulty. You can handle things that are, that are beyond your skis. And, uh, and that's what they do. So our people were highly employable um, in almost every industry because they had shown that they could go through this extremely difficult uh, experience. And it's funny, to this day, I've had some significant life challenges in business, you know, um, significant. Um, to this day, that was actually one of the most stressful, stressful experiences of my life is running that small business as a college kid, 
But what it taught me was that I can get through stuff and not give up. And uh, that has been a lesson that I've kept for years since. And it's a lesson that our college kids go and, and teach and tell their, their future potential employers. And they, they almost always get hired. I would imagine. And before we spoke, I didn't know such a thing existed. I mean, when I'm hiring college kids, it's to mow the lawn. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. isn't that kind of what we all do? It's like, look, and I'll put it out there on the next door nap. I'm looking for app. I'm looking for a couple of co- starving college students. You know, I'm looking for, you know, work around the house, get up in my attic and pull stuff down. It's manual labor. And I'm telling you, you mentioned starving college students. And they show up because I pay them and I feed them. They're all happy. But that's very different from what you're talking about. It is. And, and we would tell people in, in, the, in the interview process, we would tell people, and, and, and friends, I owned it for 20 years. They would ask me, they'd say, how do you take these, these average college students and get them to, to do on average? I think now the average branch manager in that company does almost $70,000 in business for the summer. And, and they say, how do you take the average college kid and do that? And my answer is pretty simple. We definitely don't take the average college kid and do that. We hire, we yeah, hire, yeah. We hire team captains and club presidents and uh, people that are really trying to get ahead. And, um, and, so we, and we basically just give them a place to work. So we're looking for people that are above average, that, are, that we're really trying to, 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 to really boost themselves um, and, and differentiate themselves. And there's a lot of, you know, college students get a, get a bad rap in a lot of ways, and some of it's certainly deserved, and, and a lot of it's not. And um, I can say that while I listen to a lot of people say, you know, college students uh, don't work as hard and they're entitled and all those things, and, you know, uh, sure, I'm sure some of them are. Uh, our team members uh, weren't. They worked extremely hard. Um, we did see college students evolve over the 20 years that I owned it, but I, I can't say that they didn't evolve to a better state. Um, in our opinion, they did. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a very inspiring, it was very inspiring work. And interestingly, and, and so a lot of people in that company, they go up the ranks. They go from a, a branch manager to running a more of a region uh, and then become a trainer at that point. And some of these, these college students will stay with us for three years, four years, and run during that time really build themselves and run uh, anywhere between 500000 and a million dollars a year or in total revenue during the time they were in college. And it's interesting, that experience for a college student teaches you how to interact with uh, and manage large groups of people. So uh, not surprisingly, there's only, I think, three or four of us that still do it. Um, and I think half of those people are have gone into into coaching at a pretty uh, substantive level because those skills are so transferable to helping company scale. Oh, I can see why. And what I'm hearing from you now and, and then when we last spoke is that entrepreneurship can be taught. And that seems to be kind of an argument that's going around, oh, you know, you're either born that way or not. I don't buy that at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you can teach anything. Uh, it's just a matter of how good you are teaching it and what your systems and processes are. Uh, and then ultimately, of course, does the person want to be taught? Um, it's not, it, it was no hard. I, I was lucky. So I, I came out of another company. I built my company after working for another company that did it. So I knew the system. Um, but you can, 
you can take anything and teach it as long as you're willing to spend a lot of time figuring out what the key 80-20 rule is and what needs to be taught. So entrepreneurship is, you know, certainly it's not for everyone. Um, and certainly a lot of those people went on uh, to do something other than entrepreneurship. But you can certainly teach the core values of what it means to be an entrepreneur uh, to anybody and then teach them how to, one of our values was work the plan in that company. So we would teach them how to assemble a plan to be able to reverse engineer anything they did in life. So, which we apply now to all the companies we work with now. So it was, um, you know, can you teach somebody the heart of being an entrepreneur? Can you teach anybody to do something that they might really not be passionate about? No, it starts with passion. But if someone's passionate about learning to be an entrepreneur, it's an 80-20 rule. There's, there's, there's only a certain amount of steps that are actually involved in being an entrepreneur. And um, we taught it back then, and, and we still teach it now. Yeah, the 80-20 rule is so important. And you talk a lot about systems. And I wanted yeah, to go back yeah. again to when you first started, because seriously, I was so fascinated by that, and I still am. You started, and you kind of blew it out of the water because you did everything wrong almost immediately. How long did it take you, Eric, to figure out that you needed to have some strategies? You needed to understand what you were doing, how you were performing, how your team wasn't performing, and what the heck you were doing wrong, and don't ever do it again. How long did that take you? So um, it's a great question. So unfortunately, you know, it was the same thing then as it is now for me, which is I don't tend to learn lessons that well. And not everybody's like this either. I mean, this is really me. Um, I don't tend to learn lessons well unless I try something uh, and, then, and then usually fail. So we, so I we, we, do a lot of we do a lot of failing. You know, still to this day, people look at our, our company and our growth rate and they say, you guys are killing it. Yes, the combination of many, many failures equals us doing well. That is correct. So back then it wasn't, it wasn't any different. So uh, the college industry was, you know, there, there were so many gifts, uh, as with a lot of my life. There were so many gifts that I got out of that experience that would just help me for the rest of my life. One of them was that, and I used to teach the college kids this, and they would always tell me that was crazy. One of the best things about that, that business was it, it, it ended in September. So you went back to school. So you, you had this experience where you're selling uh, these paint jobs when you're coming home from school on weekends and you're selling these paint jobs on, on weekends uh, to people that you're going to paint during the summer. And you come home from summer and, you start, and you've hired your employees and then you go you know, for three months. You only have three months when you're home from school. For three months, you're, you're doing uh, you know, five to $6,000 of business per week. And it's your first time you've ever done it, and you're managing these people, and you're you're and it's, it's, while it's 90 days when you're young, that feels like an eternity. And I remember even back then when I was doing it, I remember thinking, this is never going to end. This is the worst experience in my life. I'm so terrible, and my whole life's going to be like this, which is so crazy in retrospect. But the the beauty of it was for me in that company was we would be able to have a summer, and I worked there for years. You would finish your summer. And because it was a finite period of time that cuts off, unlike the rest of us in life, uh, you'd be able to reflect. So you'd have a summer, and I'd finish the summer as a branch manager, and I'd look back, and I'd say, well, what did I get out of that? Because it just ended. And I could, I could pinpoint it. I could say, all right, well, I did this right, I did this right. What did I do wrong? I did this wrong, and I did this wrong. So for me, usually back then and even now, 
I tend to be failing and iterating in probably 90 to 180 day cycles, sometimes a year. Uh, we do a lot of quarterly planning, a lot of annual planning. But even though I was living in 90 day, I was living in 90 day summer back then, and I was able to reflect on it afterwards. It's no different now. Uh, now I'm living in a 90 day world. Every 90 days, we're doing a quarterly meeting. Every year, we're doing annual planning, and it's the same thing. We're constantly looking at what do we just do that worked, that we can keep. And what do we just do that was not good that we should cut? So we tend to live in that world, and I lived in that world then. So I stayed with that company as a college student for two years, and I stayed with that my first company that I worked for before I started my own firm. I stayed there for, for I think, nine years. And I can almost pinpoint, because of the cyclical nature of that business, the years in which I learned individual things that I learned. So the gift to me was giving me almost the time off and the breaks between summers to allow me to reflect. And I think I've taken that into what we do now and trying to teach business owners, look, take time off, step back, analyze what you've done, understand that you're doing a lot of failing and be grateful for that. What did you learn? What can you do better? And how do you fail? How do you fail forward? And see, I always say, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, we have to have a cast iron stomach. You are so much more eloquent. I like yours better. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Um, I, I did work for, I worked for my original company, Student Painters, which uh, I, I, I worked for them, but it was extremely entrepreneurial. It wasn't that much different than when I started my own company, actually. I've really been in entrepreneurial settings. I'm 52 years old. I've been in entrepreneurial settings for, for 32 years. And um, it's hard. You know, it's, um, and if you're trying to grow a 10, 15% rate, you know, you, you might be able to, for 20% rate, you might be able to avoid some of the bigger mistakes. But the stuff that we're usually involved in, we're trying to push it to be as, you know, as, 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 as get as much out of every company we run that we can. And um, that involves a, uh, a significant amount of making mistakes. And it's, you know, I know you have a lot of, of entrepreneurs following this. And, and I always tell people, one of the things I say a lot to entrepreneurs is you're, you're not alone. Like it's, like it, it's a really hard job, and um, it has never gotten easier for me. There are times of my life that are easier, but, you know, and we work with a lot of companies, and I can tell you that no entrepreneur, if they're trying to grow, they're always failing into the next thing, and sometimes they're failing a lot. Sometimes they have periods of calmness that may be six months or nine months or a year long if they're lucky, but it's lifting weights. You're constantly adding more weights to the bar in territory you have not been in. And that in and of itself, it requires constant growth. And it's not, it's hard. You know, it's a hard, uh, I, that's why I love entrepreneurs so much because I know I, I, it's just, it's a hard life and it's all I know, but it's challenging. It is. And like I've been an entrepreneur since I was a kid with my first lemonade stand, <laughs> the typical lemonade stand. I was <laughs> best business make- model ever. <laughs> I, know. I was designing Halloween costumes for the neighbor kids and charging them for it. They paid too. I was good at it. That's awesome. Still can't sew. Yeah, I can't sew. I mean, seriously, if a piece of clothing in my closet needs to be sewn, I can. If I can't safety pin it, it goes away. I'm not going to sew anything. But I've got ideas. <laughs> Yeah, but that's just the way it works. But you're right. Entrepreneurship 
if we stop and think about what we're doing every day, what we're thinking about in our sleep, what we're trying to lift, what we're trying to dump, we're in movement. We may be sitting on the beach, but we're still in movement. Our, our, we don't shut down. And I think that's no. what some people simply don't understand about the, the entrepreneur mindset. We don't know how to shut down. And honestly, I don't know about you, I don't want to. I'm always going, ooh, that's a good idea. Oh, ooh, what the hell were you thinking? You know, I, I waver between the two. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and actually, one of the and, – and then that, of course, creates its own problems. So it um, – you know, I'm a, a, I just got back from a, a long – a four-day conference with a bunch of amazing entrepreneurs that I go to every year. And uh, one of the issues that I'm working on is I, I'm, a, I'm a runner. So I, I constantly – I'm constantly running. And um, the benefit of that is that I tend to create a lot of activity and things get done, and that's exciting. And, but the downside is I don't tend to stop and reflect as much – and take some of that quiet time as I, as I need to. Um, I just don't, I don't balance that well. So, you know, everybody has their pluses and minuses. So I'm trying to get better at that. And it's part of our system to do that. So I'm trying to get better, but it's, it is, one of the things I've learned, it, it's so fascinating is about entrepreneurship is, and I've learned so much. I'm a perfectionist also by nature. So it's, but what, what I started to realize and have been taught is that, unfortunately, that, you know, a great expression, the perfectionism is the enemy of the entrepreneur, which is, is a fantastic expression. And, and, and for many, many years of my business career, I, I just had this image that I, we're going to try and do X. And, uh, and then what's the plan to do that? And then I would over plan it or, you know, just really just try and nail what the vision was and, that whole process just led to a lot of analysis paralysis, a lot of procrastination. Lot of, correct. Absolutely. And procrastination. I'm guilty. I do it. I catch myself yeah, still. A lot of procrastination. Even though I'm aware of it. Oh, geez, really? And then I have to sit down and talk to myself about procrastinating and that wastes more time. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. And also what it, what it does is it, if your goal is to be perfect and to, and to figure out the planning of everything, the problem is that you don't get moving. And also when it doesn't go the way you wanted it to, uh, you, end up, you end up feeling like you're a failure. And what I've learned to realize from working with a lot of firms and ultimately I've learned, I've learned 75% of what I know from my clients. But ultimately uh, what I see them as a group doing, the, the ones that are exceptionally good, good at this is, they're, they're, they're shooting for what's my overall objective. Well, my objective is this, and I think the general plan to achieve that is this, and let's do the best we can to achieve that, and let's do as best we can to stay on plan. But let's understand that we're in uncharted territory and that failing and, and, and constantly iterating will be part of that journey. And it's almost like you have to embrace uh, the fact that you don't, you know, one of the most powerful expressions, in my opinion, as entrepreneurs is, is being able to say, I don't know all the time uh, because it, it forces you to say, I know I want to achieve this. I don't know how to achieve it. Let's pick the best steps we can come up with that are good enough to get us moving, analyze what worked, understand it may, we may not even come close to what we're achieving, but perhaps we'll find the next step towards that. And I, and, but to, to learn how to do that though, took me a long time um, and a lot of ego. I'd let go of a lot of the ego and control and I had to kind of surrender to my business and say, look, I, if I knew all the answers, I'd already be worth a billion dollars. And re, so I now have to start with, I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure 
we want to be heading in this general direction. And in the end, it should look like this. So let's just let's just keep trying stuff and then take notes and see what does work, what doesn't work until we get close to where we're trying to go. And let's not kill ourselves for failing. Let's just iterate and 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 try to actually not succeed where we can and, and take notes and, and, and figure out what does work. And that learning to do that has been a freeing process. Um, um, it's been very freeing. I understand. I really do. I mean, I'm, I'm a procrastinator because I am a recovering perfectionist. I'm, I am recovering. I'm working at it. But the phrase you just said, good enough, was anathema to me for so long. I was like, no, 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 this is not good enough. It has to be best, better, perfect. I was really harming myself, and I finally figured that out. It's, um, you are correct. Like that's, I don't even know what else to say. I think you, I think you nailed it. It's, um, it, as a control freak person, and I'm a high dominant person. Um, Me too. I think, I, I think I'm we're sure. related somehow. That's possible. As a high dominant person, my whole goal is, you know, set goals which I do. Our whole life's based on setting goals. So set goals, achieve goals, have plan, execute plan, you know, crush anything that's in the way. And it's useful. Like we teach that. We do it and we still do it. But I've had to give up a lot, honestly. I've had to surrender and say, okay, this looks good enough. You know, this looks good enough. Let's see. Let's see if any of this, that these 20 things that we're trying to do, let's see if we can get 10 of them to be, to be good. And the rest of them, let's, let's let go. You know, let's, let's, Let's be prepared to be wrong as we start and have the fear, the bravery to just to run with it. And uh, we're constantly shooting for good enough. And it's interesting because we're, you know, we're, we're certainly a student of our own craft. Uh, we're, we're learning as fast as we can. Uh, interestingly, the consulting business is growing at a pretty rapid rate. And if people ask me why that is, I, I say I, I don't think it's because we're amazing at it. Honestly, I think we're I think we're really good at it. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's honestly because we run a good enough company that is really has really strong culture. So, when I, we have really strong core values that we're really passionate about, and when people do business with us, I look at them sometimes and I'm like, oh man, that that just sucked. Like we didn't that was that we just did terrible. And I'm like, and then they then we have pretty high client retention, and I'm and then they stay around. And I ask them, like, I'm sorry, like that didn't go like we wanted it to. And we, and they say, no, but we also know that you're going to work with us until we get it right. And, mm-hmm. and that's core values. And so we try and be a good enough company that's always trying to get better. And I just tell our people, look, just live your core values, fill in the blanks with who you are as a person. We've hired people that we think are amazing. Do the best you can, live your core values, and let's make sure the process takes care of most of it. When you talk, and you talk about core values a lot. Can you share some of those? What are you looking for? What are your clients looking for? Is there a so, hard and fast so, list, or is it just kind of in flux? Um, it's very much, we're very, very specific about our core values. Um, and uh, we hire and fire based on our core values. And we have something we call the VDR test, which, which you know, we are – you know, we're, we're, we're a tough company. So we, we believe if a person doesn't match the core values, the first thing we do is we, we, we kind of hug them and we tell them how much we like them and then we coach them. 
Uh, we have a standard. We have a whole rating system. But we have a standard. Uh, and if we can't coach them, we try and find – if they don't match the core values, then we, we, we try and find them, you know, help them with our recruiting team to find another position. Uh, it, and it's usually not with our company. We are – uh, we're not in the people changing business, honestly. We're, we're trying to find the right people to do the right seats for what we call the right people, right seats at the right time for our business. And, you know, that's all different skill sets. So for us, we try and hire and fire based on, on values. We try and hire based, based on desire. And we try and hire and fire based on, on results. So we call it the BDR test. And, uh, and, you know, for us, when people interface with us, we have five core values. And I would say the ones that are, have really come to define us as a company um, are um, we have a value work to plan, which is important. Uh, we have a value enjoy the ride, which is important. We have a value. Um, we have other, you know, we have uh, five total, but the ones that really define us the most are help first. And, um, and honestly, we stole that from EOS. It was a great value for that they had, and I loved it. And we stole help first. And, um, and your business is our business. And those two core values define us as a firm. So we lean into help first, and basically help first means that we would basically do anything we, do, we would do for a client for no money. And it's true. And we also don't want to spend their money if we don't have to. We look at it like, and because I came, because I came from a volunteer, I did this as a volunteer for so many years, it's very natural to me. So I help anybody that asks for help. Uh, it may not be me these days. We have a lot of clients these days, but somebody on my team will help no matter what. We have clients that we help if they have financial problems, we'll do it for free if we, if we have to. Um, our goal is to help entrepreneurs. That's it. That, that, that's our goal. We're, we certainly do well financially, but our goal is that every single entrepreneur has a better shot from working with us. You know, if they can pay us and pay our rates, great. If they need help because they need help, then we're going to help them. If they're a current client and they're having financial problems and can't pay us, we're probably still going to help them. So help first is a huge, and we don't track hours. So we certainly, you know, we're not, we're not free business, but we're not going to count the hours. If we have to work extra days or whatever for a client, we're, we're going to do that. And then for your business is our business. That core value for us has been, so number one, if you can imagine help first is a very um, filtering value for us. And there are people that say they're help first, but then I re you realize that they're not because they're afraid. They're like, I don't give away my time and all this stuff. And then usually I say, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to like working here. You don't, you don't fit our mentality. Um, so, and then for your business is our business, which is a tough, tough value. Um, your business is our business basically means that when we're working with our client, if we owned that firm with all of our work past muster um, and would we do the same things we would do if we owned the firm? And would we be happy with the results if we owned the firm? And that's a very, very tough one. And that forces us to stay awake at nights worrying about our clients, which, you know, I mean, for some people, these core values probably are perceived as unhealthy for our team. And I just say that well, those people shouldn't work here. Like this, that, that's just how we are. We, we care deeply about our clients. And if they're not winning, even if it's perceived as quote unquote, their fault, uh, I tell our people, look, as long as we're getting paid, as long as, as long as we take their money, their success and failure is our fault. And, um, you know, we, we, if we can help somebody that we are currently have employed, if we can help them by coaching them to live those core values, if they're off for whatever reason, we're going to coach them because we want to love the people that we have here. So ultimately, they can't live those values. 
we're going to give them a finite period of time, and then we're going to probably put them on their way. Well, you do need to evolve your people as the company grows, whoever you are. I mean, you can't yes. just yes. pluck somebody in front of a keyboard and say, okay, do this, do this, do this. You're on your own, and hey, you messed that up. You know, get out of here. You can't do that. No, you can't. And we're and we're very so people hear me talking. There, I have a lot of entrepreneur friends and a lot of clients, and they always think the ones that don't know me as well. They're like, Eric, you must fire everybody. I, we certainly do offboard people. We do, um, and we're pretty quick. We are certainly believers in hire slowly and fire quickly. We 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 very much embrace that. But my team is my family. Like they they are literally my family, and. Um, I I, uh, I I lose sleep over you know now we have you know we have a lot of employees but I I lose sleep over when any of them uh, have to get cut um, and and we do everything we possibly can to do whatever we can to help them have not be the case but I also do realize that I run the company so if a person it's the difference is it's not an actual family if it's an actual family you can't cut anybody but in a business. You got to you got to earn to be to be in the family. So um, we'll help them if they're struggling, and we certainly help people that are having life problems and keep them around as long as we need to. Honestly, if they're having life problems, because because that's part of the business family rule. But ultimately, if they can't get it, we'll move them out. But that's usually after a process of doing whatever we can to help them first, and then ultimately that backstop becomes can they get the results or not? And, and I'm sure and, they appreciate and, that. And you know, as you did, <clears throat> excuse me, with your college business, you know, once they're gone and they've moved on to something else, hopefully they've taken the time to reflect and say, oh, okay, well, I'm glad I was part of that company and this is what I learned and this is what I'll never do again. Hopefully that's that's, okay. That's accurate. And so 90% of the time, we're so core values focused, honestly, that 90% of the time we've had enough conversations with them because we do care about them, that most of the time they just leave. Or most of the time we say, look, we absolutely love you. We absolutely don't think that you're a fit here, but we do love you. We can keep working with you for X period of time, or we can help transition you into a way that works for you financially and help you get another position. So usually they leave on their own, their own. but ultimately the bumper becomes that the people in this company live their core values and can make it results um, or not. Um, I, I learned something really interesting once from a, um, a guy I worked with, a uh, mentor, there's something that really stuck with me, and it, it, it was the way he said it was so helpful. He said, he said, Eric, if you're on a 30-person company, or I'll use 50-person, round number. You're on a 50-person company, and you have, uh, let's say, five people out of 50 who don't live your core values or can't get the results uh, for whatever reason. That's 10% of your firm. Uh, your company's probably running at a 10 to 15% net profit. That 10% of people that are that are not doing a good job uh, are sucking up resources. They're sucking up 10% likely of your operating budget, which either is your profitability, which means you're likely not running profitable, or more likely under a, a small business world, you could be running profitable, but your ability to reinvest in your firm is now inhibited because you're spending 10% of that money on those five people. So you're never going to be able to grow that company. And I work with people that they say, if I only had an extra $100,000 or $150,000, I could reinvest in this business. And I say, you do. It's these three people here that you're paying that are not creating value that you're too afraid to make a decision on. If you cut those people and run the business the way it's supposed to, you can take that money and benefit the other 47 people. 
So those people, it's real dollars. It's looked at as being an emotional thing by small business people because we're humans and it's really difficult to make these decisions. But ultimately, it also it ultimately ends up being the budget that you need to grow your business. And it, it is literally one of the things that blocks companies from ever growing. It's not being able to make those decisions, not having the budget, not knowing the why, and then they just stall. I, and I wanted to ask you about one of my questions was, I'm sure you hear this when, when people come to you, they want to know why their company is not growing. And you just answered it, I think, in part. But you're right. I mean, people, you know, they get attached to their employees or maybe it's their cousins. I'm the South. Everybody's a cousin down here. They're all related. You can't fire anybody. But it's, it's hard to do, especially if you just are not looking at your budget, if you don't know to look at your budget, you're just kind of operating from, well, you know, they're going to retire soon. And you find reasons not to cut them loose. But you're damaging your business. You're damaging your bottom line. You you are. And it's interesting, in the consulting business, the biggest tool that we have that we use is, uh, for us, we call it the three-year objectives. They're a list of three-year objectives. And those are usually financial in nature, the top line objectives, whether it be revenue, profit, or number of units they're selling, whatever they're doing. So what is their three-year objectives for their, their, those things? And then what are the list of key, uh, key objectives they're focusing on, they need to focus on in order to make sure that they hit those financial numbers at the top? And what I tell people is I say, look, it, all that matters is that we have the business plan, and we link it to a financial plan. So we help them build a three-year financial plan to actually hit those numbers. And ultimately, especially if it's a people issue, they'll say, yeah, well, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And all the time, a lot of times I'll say, we got to have an objective to have the right people in the right seats for the right time of where we are in the business. And it then necessitates those kinds of decisions because you look at it and you say, well, I'm not even going to be able to hit my three-year uh, business plan um, if I don't make some of these tougher decisions. And that three-year plan, it uncovers a lot of ills in the business. And it forces you to really deal with stuff that you might not want to, but I asked clients, and I said, well, you know, my business coach is super sharp. He always just tell me, Eric, there's only one reason people don't hit their, don't, don't hit their plans um, ever. And it was so purifying. He said it. And I, I'm like, of course, like, well, go ahead and Mark, what, what, what is that thing? He said, they, they don't want to badly enough. And, uh-huh. and yeah, he's, he's right. And so People issues are just one are just one of many areas that people don't want they don't want it bad enough. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course. Like it's not you people want what they want. Uh, and you know, wanting more is not always a good thing. But there's often a dissonance, a cognitive dissonance, I would say, between I want to triple my business in the next five years, or or let's say more real, let's say standard thing, which is let's I want to double my business in the next three years, pretty standard goal. I want to double my business next three years. Okay, well, to do that, there are 10 different decisions or things you need to do on a macro level to do that. Oftentimes, it comes down to, do you really want to double your business in the next three years? Or is that just something that you say because you think that's something you're supposed to say or that sounds like a cool thing to say? You know, we'd all want to achieve massive financial success. We all would want to, well, I mean, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't generalize like that, but many people would like to achieve financial success. Many people would like to, to grow X, Y, Z in their life where they want to 
you know, uh, achieve X, Y, Z in their personal life or they want to X, Y, Z in their health life. That's a given. How badly do you want to actually do that? And so we question our clients all the time. I know you say you want that. That journey looks like this. You want it bad enough because you're going to be, you're going to be required to make some difficult decisions usually uh, to, to achieve those things. And people decisions are probably on the list of the hardest uh, to make to achieve those targets. Uh, it, they would have to be. I mean, most businesses genuinely, I'm not going to say all businesses because there's some that they've just gotten too big or too bloated. They don't know who they're employing. But most businesses, I genuinely believe, do care about their people. They care about all of them at some level, some more than others perhaps. But it's a human thing not to want to deliberately hurt people. It is. It is. It's, and, it, and this isn't, it, most people know this, but it's almost never that we move somebody out of the business if that's actually what we're doing. It's almost never that that ends up not being a better thing for that person because people want to succeed. So usually it's, a, it's almost, I tell people that, that they have difficulty with people decisions. I'm like, that's your ego talking. You're taking a paternal or maternal viewpoint on this. Let the person thrive in life. They're not thriving here. They know it. They're not stupid. Like they know they're not thriving. Let them, let them have a chance to thrive. Coach them. Help them. Can you find them a role where they can thrive in your company or can you put them someplace else um, that's going to be valuable to them? So, you know, you've got to make those, 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 kinds of, uh, those kinds of decisions are tough. It's interesting. We do work with some people who don't care about making these decisions. Like don't make them quickly. Um, and I would say it's probably 10% of our client base, maybe, maybe 5% of our client base. They can make people decisions like snap of the fingers. Um, and the only, and that culture usually is, um, usually that culture is, uh, uh, I tell them, I say, look, if you're really going to be that, you know, quote unquote, heartless or not care as much, I don't, and I, I mean, in a, in a less compassionate way, I don't mean they can make quick decisions, making quick people decisions is a strength, but making quick people decisions because you just don't care uh, that's a different story. So I tell companies, I'm like, you don't have to care about your people, but you better have an amazing product or service if that's the case. And usually it's a product. So usually companies that don't care as much, and you hear about companies that, that are tough on their people. The only way you can really ever pull that off is if you have built the next iPhone or something like that. Like so people say Steve Jobs was tough. Well, thankfully he also was smart enough to build the iPhone or he wouldn't have been able to get away with that. He was a, you know, really, really tough on his people, but he also was incredible as a product uh, visionary. Um, but if everybody wants to act like Steve Jobs and being as tough as him and, you know, firing people like you read about him doing, good luck with your business. And it, it's not going to work. No, it wouldn't. You mentioned to me in another conversation a front domino. What is a front domino? So we have a tool we call the front domino tool. And um, it refers to, it's a concept and it's also a tool that we use with our clients, and it refers to a, us looking at anything they're doing, whether it's an objective they're trying to hit around sales or around building their operations team a certain way or around building a product. It's what is the, first, the front domino we need to do to tip off getting this rolling? So it can be around anything. It can be a big thing or it can be a small thing. So if a person, for example, is struggling to build out a, a, a customer success function, and we have this issue in our business. So it's easy to say, well, we're just going to build it, right? Like simple, right? So it's not, especially when you're a small and medium-sized company, you have limited resources. So any, any statement beyond your current state 
is a challenge to do. So we got to build a customer success function. So you got to you ask yourself, well, what do I got to do first? What's the front domino here? And usually, it's not. It can be just as simple as, well, what's step one? You know, step one might be X, Y, and Z. But oftentimes, it's it's it can be that. That can be the front domino. It could be a set of tactics that you need to start rolling, and a set of questions you need to things you need to do. But oftentimes, it's more than that. It's well, the real front domino, the real front domino, or the real issue here is we can't afford it. So the front domino is we need money to do this, or the front domino is we need to build a budget to see if we can do this, or the front domino is we need to find somebody to run it. And then you realize the actual issue is you don't have anybody to actually head the function. So the front domino is, is either the obstacle or the first thing, you, either the obstacle that you need to, to overcome that's sometimes not even related to the thing you need to do, or it's the first step and what you need to do to actually achieve something. So we always will say, well, here's the objective we need to accomplish X, Y, and Z. We need to do it in the next, let's say, six months. Okay. So I, we look at that and we say, is that actually going to get done? And then we try and plan out the, 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 the steps that need to, need to happen in the first 90 days. But then we step back and say, are those really the right 90 steps? Or is there anything else that's, that's happening right now in the organization, any other current state that's actually blocking that from happening? And that happens all the time with small business. We'll, they'll say they want to do X, Y, and Z. And I'll say, how, often you, how long have you been trying to do that? And they'll say, six months. Or sometimes they'll say, years. I'll say, you've been trying to do the same thing for years. And you've had those first steps to get that done. They'd say, yep. I'd say, then obviously you have not addressed the front domino. You, we need to figure out, if it's not getting done, why? And in a lot of cases of small business, it can be really questions that you just don't want to address. We don't have the money. It's not a right strategy in the first place. Uh, the owner blocks the progress, or, or they don't have the right department head. The department can't hand, can handle it. But if you start trying to solve something without attacking the actual front domino issue, it doesn't get solved. And that can be used in a project planning sense. So what's the front domino in the project? What is the front domino in terms of an obstacle? But you've got to start looking at what is actually going to either block us from getting this done that we can overcome, or what is the first thing tactically? And you want to try and get in there and focus on that first. And then the project will usually take, take, uh, take flight. Well, that makes sense. So, Eric, what are some of your biggest achievements or accomplishments so far? And I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess here and maybe make an assumption that it's um, the launch of the growth method, which was just a couple so, of years ago. So yeah, it's it's um that was that was certainly a, a pivotal thing for us. So when uh, I worked at EOS for for years, and I'm a big fan of of those people in that company, um, but ultimately they they franchised the business, and it wasn't a, a it, we're a company that takes small, medium-sized companies and we scale them. And and EOS is an operating system; it's very good at that. We had to focus on scale, so. It, 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 we decided to leave because we're a consulting company and it, it just wasn't the best fit for us. And so we did. And it's funny. I'm very friendly with that company. They said, Eric, just change the colors and the names of the tools and you're good to go. Just don't try and say you're doing something that you're not, which I never would do. They're very polite, very understanding. And I laughed. I said, I don't think it's going to be that simple. And it wasn't. So, and I knew that. Now I was lucky. We were using objectives and key results with some clients. Anyway, we're using OKRs. Uh, from the book Measure What Matters, and it's a great goal-setting methodology for companies that are scaling. So I got lucky. So I, we had that framework that we were starting to use, 
And then we had to basically figure out, well, what do we actually care about? And then, and this, and I, I was lucky, like a lot of things in my life. I, I had a content writer that was on staff already and she was fractional. So it cost me a chunk of money, but it was affordable. So I had a writer that could help building, start building the system with me and could translate. So we started to figure out what do we want to be the heart of the system? And we determined that we wanted to focus on the four quadrants. Um, you know, we took all of our knowledge from EOS, from scaling up, from playing to win, and all these great books, and we tried to figure out what do we really want the system to focus on? So we put together an operating system that focuses on people and operations, and that really led to our, a lot of that came from our EOS background. And then, but also leveraging strategy and then finance. Um, and we believe that you, if you want to run a great operational company, that's awesome. And people in operations are fantastic things for companies to focus on. But if you really want to scale your business, you're going to need to have a strong strategy in the market uh, to get that done. And you're going to need to have your finances running in tandem with that so that you know that your three-year plan actually has teeth. You know your one-year has teeth. You know your 90 days plan has teeth. and has to be linked to your actual finance, your financial plan. So we built the four quadrants, people, operations, strategy, and finance. And we have iterated our system over the last couple of years. Um, and um, fortunately, like I said, we had OKRs as a, as a platform that we could run from. And we've built uh, you know, hundreds of pages of content around building this growth method system. And the growth method system focuses on those four quadrants. Um, so when our clients get onboarded, we run their quarterly, annually, annual meetings and uh, we have a whole system for that, and we make sure those four quadrants in their business are, are optimized. So this is an in-house system. It is. It is. A lot of our stuff is available online. You can use it, and, and we are very much a help-first community, and people can you know, attend our webinars, which we run every quarter, and, and use a lot of our stuff. But it is an in-house system. Our clients get a 200-page training manual. Um, our consultants have, I think, a 200, 300 page manual that goes behind that that they use. Uh, it's an in-house system. Well, that makes sense. We've only got about five minutes left, and this has been a fascinating conversation. One of the things that I wanted to mention, and I think this is important, you talked about painting, used e-painting. What we didn't talk about is that it's one of New England's largest commercial business uh, painting businesses. I think we touched on it briefly. But both CE Painting and your company, Cruise & Co., Cruise & Company, I guess that means, have been recognized as honorees on the prestigious Inc.com list of the 5,000 yep. fastest-growing businesses. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, it, it's been a blessed journey, uh, and, and we always tell ourselves we must always eat our own dog food. And, and, and I like try and, that. And we try and we, we try and be the, the, the best of our companies. Uh, we try. We, we, we compete with our other clients because we say, look, if, if we're not doing this stuff at least uh, as good as we're teaching it, how much value do we actually have to our clients? So, um, you know, I'm, I'm super proud of our companies. They've, they, they grow at a pretty rapid rate. And, um, uh you know, the, the, the commercial painting company almost made the Inc. 500, actually. We, I think we got ranked two years ago at, at, at number 575 or something. And they called us and they said, you're about to break the Inc. 500 because we have such a, a high growth rate. Uh, we didn't. We just fell short. But it's honestly because we took a, we took a blue-collar industry 
and we focus on the fundamentals of running a business on this very blue collar industry. And uh, it's been, you know, my part, I have a partner in that company and um, we've been blessed uh, to work together for uh, years. And um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a joy. It sounds like it. And maybe next time 500. Uh, you never it's know. Always, or is it too always, late? If you broke the Inc. 500, by the way, big congratulations from me because I know how hard that, that that's not easy. The, the 5,000 is one thing and we're proud of that as well. The Inc. 500 is a challenge. I bet. Eric, I sincerely appreciate your company today. It's been a fascinating conversation as it was the last time we spoke. And spending time with you has been a genuine pleasure. My my brain is just going zip, zip, zip. I've been scribbling stuff down. Would you mind sharing your online presence and your preferred means of contact for those who are listening and who wish to learn more about you? So you can go to our website at cruiseandco.com. And you can email me always anytime at eric at cruisingco.com. Or you can look, look me up on LinkedIn. I'm there or, or on you know, uh, Facebook and all those places. So uh, we're, we're all here. And if anybody has questions, uh, I remind people I started as a volunteer and our company still focuses, um, uh, it still runs in that vein. So if people are saying, well, I, I'm worried about that. I can't afford that. Or you know, we, are, we are priced for small and medium-sized companies, but they're worried they can't afford it because they're just not there on the journey. Um, we're here for you. Like that, that's what we do. And uh, we'd be glad to help anybody in the audience who's listening to help any of their business issues. Um, we have a lot of resources and we'll do whatever we can to help any entrepreneur who needs it. Thank you. I know the audience loves that as much as I do. And speaking to the audience now, as we come to the end of today's episode, I would like to request your very valuable feedback. If you found the insights that Eric has shared today useful and you enjoyed the show, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review and rating on iTunes and go find Eric, talk with him, follow him on Facebook, LinkedIn, go to his website. Seriously, he's got a lot to share. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a review, and share your partner in Success Radio with your friends and colleagues. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to catching you on the next one. Eric, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Enjoyed this conversation as well as the one prior. Congratulations on all you're doing. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 